The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Before we get our program started, I want to welcome members of our armed forces and their families who are joining us over the Internet. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, United States Congressman Tom McClintock will be joining us to talk about whether fish or humans come first during periods of drought, which the state of California and other western states presently face. And he'll also explain how pro-growth budgeting differs from how states have allocated funding in the past. McClintock served as the director of the Center for the California Taxpayer from 1992 to 94, so he knows a thing or two about managing large public coffers. But before Mr. McClintock joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Thomas Miller McClintock II was born in White Plains, New York. He graduated from the University of California at Los Angeles with a degree in political science and served as Chief of Staff to Senator Ed Davis until 1992, when he ran for California's 36th State Assembly District, a position he held until 2000 when McClintock joined the California State Senate. During his tenure, McClintock was known for his fiscal conservatism. He consistently opposed new taxes in favor of spending cuts, claiming that there was plenty of room to tackle California's worrisome deficit by eliminating waste. Then in 2009, Mr. McClintock became a member of the United States House of Representatives, representing California's 4th District. I also want to add that McClintock has been praised by libertarians and Democrats for his willingness to vote against his own party. He was one of the few GOP members who voted against the National Defense Authorization Act, which had a provision to allow the government to indefinitely detain citizens without trial. Today, in addition to finding himself in an unusual race in the upcoming midterm election, McClintock has taken a strong stand on water, which has stirred up some recent controversy. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report United States Congressman Mr. Tom McClintock. Welcome to the program, Mr. McClintock. Well, thank you, Rebecca, for having me. Well, I think today we have to open the program by talking about the drought conditions uh, in California and other states in the West. Uh, in addition to dangerous and costly fire conditions, citizens are paying record prices for water and being asked to conserve in ways they have never experienced in the past. So maybe you could give us a little update on the water situation in California and the West at this time. Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, droughts are nature's fault. Water shortages, however, are our fault uh, for not storing it uh, in wet years to use in dry years. You know, everybody thinks the, the Colorado River is the mother load of all water in the western United States. The Colorado River is actually smaller than the Sacramento. Mm -hmm. The difference is we store 70 million acre-feet of water on the Colorado. We store only 10 million acre-feet on the Sacramento. Uh, much of the rest of that is lost to the ocean every year. Uh, we have not built a major water storage facility in California uh, since 1979, and meanwhile, the population has nearly doubled. We are not going to solve our water problem, short-term or long-term, until we build more storage. And the good news is, there are plenty of suitable sites. Simply completing the existing dam at Shasta, which was built to a level of 600 feet of elevation, but it was designed for 800 feet. We only built to 600 because that's all we needed at the time. Simply completing that dam and taking it to its design elevation would nearly double the water storage capacity uh, on the Sacramento system. But of uh, a, a dizzying array 
of outlandish environmental laws have brought the era of dam construction to a stop. In fact, the environmental left in recent years has been agitating to tear down existing dams, including four hydroelectric dams on the Klamath, and uh, we still see of uh, agitation to even tear down the Hetch Hetchy Dam, which is the principal water source for the city of San Francisco. I I I completely understand the uh, the issue with environmental laws, red tape, uh, preventing everything from thinning dead trees in the forest and and increasing fire risk to not allowing us to uh, save enough water or even to create water through desal plants, um, but. What do you say to folks who say, well, if every time we have to choose between an endangered species or an environmental issue or human needs, we uh, weigh on, in favor of human needs, then nature doesn't really even have a chance. I mean, what do you, what do you say but to no, those no, folks? Nobody, nobody is suggesting that false dichotomy. Uh, we're suggesting, why don't we take common sense uh, approaches to uh, uh, preservation of species? For example, fish hatcheries. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the proposal to tear down four hydroelectric dams on the Klamath stems from the claim that there's been a catastrophic decline in the salmon population. That used to be part of my congressional district. When I first went up there, I said, well, that's terrible. How many salmon are left? Oh, only just a few hundred in the entire Klamath. And I said, that's terrible. Why doesn't somebody build a fish hatchery? Well, it turns out somebody did build a fish hatchery at the uh, Iron Gate dam it produces seven uh, pardon me of uh, five million salmon smolts a year 17,000 of those smolts return to the Klamath every year as fully grown adults to spawn the problem is they don't allow us to keep them in the to include them in the population count uh, and to add insult to insanity when they tear down the dams the iron gate fish hatchery goes with them uh, now why why can't you count those salmon that return to the Klamath in the count because then there would be no uh, uh, argument for tearing down those dams. It's, it's just that simple. What the environmental leftists will say is, oh, well, they're not really the same kind of, uh, of a fish, those born in hatcheries, as, as those that are born in the wild. Well, Are they different? No, they're not different in the slightest. The only difference between a hatchery fish and a, uh, uh, a wild-born fish is the difference between a baby born in the hospital and a baby born at home. There is no difference. Of uh, uh, simply allowing fish hatcheries uh, to to meet the, uh, the demands of the Endangered Species Act uh, uh, would be a much simpler, much uh, uh, less costly. Uh, approach to meeting the demands of, of the Endangered Species Act. Instead, in the midst of the one of the worst droughts in the recorded history of California, we are releasing of, uh, of, uh, tens of thousands of acre feet of water from our dams in order to get the temperature just right in the rivers uh, and to encourage the salmon smolts to swim toward the ocean, which they do anyway, by the way. Now, uh, uh, just in a two-week period in April, 70,000 acre-feet of water, uh, of the remaining water behind our dams on the American and, and Stanislaw rivers, was drained for this purpose. Now, that's enough water to meet the annual needs of a city with a population of a half a million. Now, this now, was drained no for what reason? It was drained, was drained to encourage the salmon to swim to the ocean? Downstream and to and 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 to lower the uh, water temperature uh, on these uh, rivers uh, to get them just right for the fish. Um, uh, and where did that wa where was that water released? It was released uh, uh, on the uh, American River uh, through the uh, Folsom Dam network uh, and the Stanislaw River through the. Um, uh, 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 through the new Malonis Dam. So there was no uh, way to use that water for public consumption in some way? No, that's the whole point, is we should have been holding that water for beneficial use for human beings. Instead, it was released to lower the water temperature for the fish, and there's no more water coming. Well, uh, what about doing pack, both? Our, what ab our, what, no, what our, about doing both, finish. Congressman? Our snowpack, what? our snowpack is at 4% of normal as of May 20th, and, yet, and we are asking of uh, Californians to scrimp and save and ration every drop of water, uh, and yet the government... Uh, sees nothing wrong with dumping 23 
billion gallons of desperately needed water uh, in into the uh, rivers and into the Pacific Ocean uh, for the amusement of the fish. Right, that but I don't think you'd object to doing both if they were going to release the water to a, a, a secondary uh, reservoir or something and preserve it there and also at the same time lower the temperature 70, and encourage. 70% of the water that was released out of those dams uh, last month went into the Pacific Ocean and was lost. Well, why don't that we make a plan to release it somewhere else? Well, first of all, the 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 the, the superior claim for that water uh, rests with the uh, with the areas of origin. So, mm-hmm. if if you are and, and this is one of the problems, some of the releases are for ostensibly environmental uses, uh, but then that water is is uh, uh, siphoned uh, to junior uh, uh, rights holders in mm-hmm. Southern California. Unfortunately, we have to take a hard water. break right now, so uh, we're going to come right back in just a moment. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com, that's RebeccaCosta.com, and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, you'll be glad you did. The sun is high in the sky, which means it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers, in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition. Tune up your RV for summer with RV Service Center's pre-summer special. 20% off all parts and service. Call now. Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or rvscsc.com. Hello? Hi, Grandma. No, Grandma, I can't fix your computer. I'm sorry it's so slow, but I don't know what to do with it. You clicked on what? You better call user-friendly computing, because I can fix any PC, Mac, or laptop. They'll even come to your house and pick it up. But if you bring it to the shop, they'll give you a free $50 diagnostic just for saying you heard their ad on KSCO. No, Grandma. Downloading that free internet software won't save you time or money. Let's face it. Most of your computer problems these days start with the user being tricked into clicking on a link that contains a path to computer hell. User-friendly computing will have you back on track fast. User-friendly computing is locally owned at 505 River Street across from Gateway Plaza. Or you can give them a call at 831-423-9653. That's 831-423-9653. 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Congressman Tom McClintock. And before before the break, we were talking about water released from reservoirs to the Pacific Ocean, which could have been released to secondary holding facilities for the public's use, particularly during this extreme drought, uh, while still meeting the goal of lowering the river water temperature to accommodate salmon populations. And as I understand it, you've discovered other places where water was recklessly released or reallocated for the benefit of fish populations rather than humans. Is that right, Congressman? Well, it's, it's going on right now, the uh, the flows on the America. These, by the way, are called pulse flows. They're so swift that, that uh, advisories are issued to people on or near the river to, to beware the swift currents. Uh, and bear in mind, there's the, the water we've got behind the dams is all the water we're going to have until the next rains. The snowpack's pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so to release this water, as I said, 70% of the water that was released out of these dams last month uh, 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 went to the Pacific Ocean. Now, who makes uh, the decision? Is that the Bureau of Reclamation that makes that Bureau, decision? The Bureau of Reclamation ultimately orders the release of the dams. But here's the thing. Either the governor or the president could uh, uh, set in motion uh, a process to suspend those provisions of the ESA uh, during extreme droughts like this. And yet they have utterly failed to do so. Now, so why? Why Why won't they institute some measure to prevent this? Uh, I, I believe they follow a radical and retrograde ideology that essentially puts fish uh, uh, above people. And, and the irony of it is this. Had we not built the dams... In a drought like this, there would be no water in the streams. There would be no fish. There is nothing more environmentally devastating to a riparian habitat than a drought or a flood. It is the dams that evened the flow of waters, protected these uh, habitats uh, from the devastation of droughts and floods. Uh, and yet now these facilities are are being used uh, 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 largely uh, for the purpose of maintaining, for example, a cold water fishery on the San Joaquin uh, year-round where none has existed year-round before. Uh, again, the water on the hot uh, valley floor uh, in the summer uh, uh, is is warm and there's very little of it. Uh, it's the dams that made the, um, uh, the flows possible, but we built those dams for beneficial use by human beings, and particularly in a drought like this. I'm afraid that by this uh, late summer, uh, uh, there is going to be severe, severe consequences of these policies uh, for the economy and for the uh, quality of life of people throughout California. Now, as I understand it, we're also getting ready to remove several dams. And in the meantime, you point out that the studies of new dams and new water retention facilities have been mired in bureaucracy and been on the books for over a decade. Well, I mentioned that that simply building Shasta to its original design elevation of 800 feet Mm -hmm. uh, from its current elevation of 600 uh, would add 9 million acre feet of storage, almost doubling the entire amount of water that we have in the Sacramento River system. Um, uh, And yet they have been mired in environmental studies for the last 20 years Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, increase the elevation, not by the 200 feet of design, but by 18 feet. Uh, and, about, and we are not, and until we overhaul these laws, first, we are not going to be able to build new uh, reservoirs. And if we can't build new reservoirs, we are not going to solve our water problems. Uh, uh, and meanwhile, those same environmental laws are being used to release desperately needed water that remains behind our current dams. I, I just have to tell you, I hate to hear human interests and uh, the environmental interests be pitted against each other. I, in so many cases that where I have sat down and had to listen to uh, both sides of the argument, there's always a middle ground. There's always a balance between what's good for humanity and what's good for uh, the environment. With all due respect, in that case, you've not been involved in California water policy discussions in Washington because I can tell you with the environmental left, there is no middle ground. Really? It's just you there. It, you can't sit down and say, well, let's just work this out because we, these dams and controlling the flow of water down rivers is not is not bad for the environment. In many cases, it's the very reason species have managed to survive. But the same laws prevent us from operating the pumps, which is one of the reasons so much of that water is lost 
to the Pacific Ocean, uh, you know, even during times of plenty. Mm-hmm. I mean, even even when we have not been suffering droughts, the Central Valley has been devastated by these environmental laws. Uh, we've now lost about a half million uh, acres of the most fertile farmland in America uh, because of these laws and the drought. But before the drought, we'd already lost a quarter million acres to environmental regulations. So your and point is we've gone, we've overshot. I think your your point is we've overshot, we've gone too far. We have lost our, our perspective. You know, Mother Nature creates 45,000 gallons of fresh water every day for every man, woman, and child on this planet. There's no water shortage. The problem is that water is unevenly distributed over both time and distance. Mm-hmm. We build dams to move water from wet years into dry years. We build aqueducts to move water from wet areas to dry areas. We do not build these facilities in order to more efficiently dump that water into the Pacific Ocean. The water tends to run downhill very well without our assistance. We build these facilities so that surplus water can be stored for beneficial human use. Uh, And that is what has been completely lost in our water policy over the past uh, several decades. Now, let me quickly, before we have to take another break, ask you about desal plants. Uh, we certainly have the technology. What's what's holding us up there? Well, it's a great idea if you don't mind tripling your water bill. Mm. Uh, desalination is an extremely expensive way of producing fresh water. Uh, there are some areas where it makes economic sense simply because there are no other alternatives. Arid areas like uh, uh, Israel, for example, rely on desalination. Uh, 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 arid uh, uh, islands uh, like Aruba that don't have their own water sources rely heavily on desalination, but it is extremely expensive. Um, uh, it is, you know, fortunately, we live in one of the most water-rich regions of the world uh, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, 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 storing uh, the uh, enormous amount of water that nature produces here uh, uh, during wet periods uh, so that we can use it in dry periods is a far, far less expensive uh, uh, process to use. Uh, and unfortunately, governmental policy has has stymied the, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, construction of these facilities uh, to the point that we're now facing, you know, catastrophic shortages now that we've reached a real drought. It's really interesting. Uh, I haven't heard this before, but you're not against desal plants. You're basically saying that there's another way to solve uh, the problem that uh, is more efficient, will cost the consumer less, uh, and that we've just simply gone too far in terms of our environmental regulation, and we need to come back to something that's more reasonable. After all, as you point out, we're not Saudi Arabia or a desert state where there are no other alternatives. So we have other options provided that we strike a workable compromise with what is good for the environment and endangered species and also human populations. And I'm always surprised at how often reasonable compromise is sacrificed in favor of gridlock. Now, we have to take another hard break, but we'll be right back after these important messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm a big fan of wines by Caraccioli Cellars. And today I'm here with Scott Caraccioli, who's one of the brains behind the most memorable wines money can buy. So I have a question for you. How did your family get into the wine business? Um, You know, in 2006, my father, his brother and uncle were really playing with the idea of planting a vineyard. And planting a vineyard turned into making a bottle, turned into making sparkling wine when... um, Michelle came into the picture, so it was really kind of an organic situation, us being in agriculture in the Salinas Valley, and then the extension of that went to grapes, and here we are today. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com 
or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. Sunday, June 8th, it's the Rio Theater's 65th birthday party, the cocktail party and variety show. Join us at 7 p.m. at the Rio Theater to celebrate the 65th anniversary of the Rio Theater. Come for cocktails, iconic videos, music, and comedy, taking us back to the Rio's 1949 opening, hosted by comedian Richard Stockton with historian Ross Gibson and others, entertaining us 1949 style. Admission is free. Party like it's 1949. Join us Sunday, June 8th. Doors open at 6.30. Event starts at 7 p.m. at the Rio's 65th cocktail party and variety show hey race fans ko here speaking up for special olympics friday night is race night at ocean speedway in wattonville have you ever dreamed of what it feels like to race around the track with your very own professional behind the wheel you have the opportunity to do just that and you can feel good knowing that your family is watching on from the grandstands if you want to get your hands on a family pass for friday's police and pursuit email me with your bid at ko at ksco.com you will get a family packet for two adults and two children a free t-shirt a pit pass and most importantly you will ride shotgun with racer x as the police warm up for police in pursuit an event to raise funds for the special olympics and that is exactly where every penny of your bid will go ride shotgun with racer x and feel good about your donation to the special olympics email me with your bid at ko at ksco.com and know this highest bid wins the ride of a lifetime Shirt Crafter, your one-stop print shop, has been locally owned and operated in Santa Cruz for a decade, providing custom design services to help you build your brand. Shirt Crafter provides top-of-the-line custom screen printing, digital printing, embroidery, stickers, banners, business cards, and so much more. They carry top quality brands of gear from t-shirts and polos to sweatshirts and ball caps. Whether you're outfitting your softball team or team building for your business, Shirt Crafter has it all. So build your brand with Shirt Crafter, located at 111 Ingalls Street in Santa Cruz, or go to www.shirtcrafter.com. Or you could give them a call at 831-423-0537. That's Shirt Crafter, 831-423-0537. Raising the standards on KSCL. Last week after the show, I went over to BevMo to pick up a cigar. I'm walking out with a cigar in my hand, and you and Rachel walk up. And you go, what are you doing? I said, I'm just buying a cigar. At which point, Rachel says, (laughs) I thought they only had beverages here. I turned around and I said, Bev, ma, ma. she goes, yeah. oh, Mo, Mo. Jazz and Mo, Saturdays, 3 to 5 on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and today we're speaking with Congressman Tom McClintock. Now, you also feel that uh, all of the red tape required to remove dead trees has uh, made it impossible to take the measures needed to reduce fire risk on public lands. Is that right? Well, yes, uh, in, in, in two respects. Number one, we've allowed our forest to become horribly overgrown. Uh, to the point where they're now falling victims to uh, uh, increasingly uh, uh, fierce and frequent uh, 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 fires, uh, as well as uh, pestilence and disease. Uh, We've had about an 80% decline in the board feet of timber harvested out of our national forests uh, since 1980. Meanwhile, the acreage destroyed by fire has increased um, uh, uh, proportionally. Um, as a result, uh, we just had the Rim Fire in my district in the Sierra Nevada uh, that destroyed 400 square miles of national forests. Uh, the irony is this. We can't even uh, uh, harvest the fire-killed timber out of these forests. Once the fire's killed a, a tree, you've got a very limited time, about a year, when that tree can still be salvaged uh, for beneficial use. That means money going into the national treasury that can then be turned around and used to restore the forests. Um, uh, unfortunately, the environmental review process now takes a full year, uh, and then litigation begins after that and completely runs out the clock on any value of this timber. Um, Interestingly, 
about 16,000 acres destroyed by the Rim Fire is privately owned and not subject to these regulations. Uh, the owner of that land is now completing the uh, harvesting of all of the dead timber out of that 16,000 acre tract. A portion of those proceeds are going to um, uh, replant uh, that uh, that acreage, and within a couple of years, you're going to have a young, thriving, growing, healthy forest. Meanwhile, on the public lands, nothing is being done. Brush will take over the uh, in, entire area. Uh, within a year or two, you'll have uh, four to six feet of dried brush, and then the big dead beetle-infested dry trees will begin falling over uh, on that brush. You'll have a perfect fire stack for second-generation fires that will further devastate the region. That's the difference between between freedom and overregulation, and that's what we face in the Sierra today. Well, it sounds like the owner of the private land is setting a good model for uh, the forestry department. And, and the management of the public lands, I believe, ultimately will be judged in comparison to the management of the private lands. And as I said, I, I don't think we will see a more stark contrast between the public mismanagement, this this notion that that uh, uh, we should consign our forests to benign neglect uh, instead of sound forest management practices. Uh, you know, uh, uh, all of that excess timber in the forests comes out one way or another. It is either carried out or it's burned out, but it does come out. When we carried it out, we had much healthier forests, uh, and we had a thriving economy. Uh, since we've consigned our forests to this um, this philosophy of benign neglect, uh, we've had increasingly uh, severe forest fires uh, and massive uh, infestations of pests, uh, mainly uh, bark-boring beetles, throughout uh, the western United States. And when we don't act prophylactically, we're effectively taking on a fiscal uh, liability later down the road. Fighting these forest fires is an incredible cost to taxpayers. Exactly right. Meanwhile, the harvesting of the excess timber is an enormous gift to taxpayers because that timber is sold. The money of uh, from those sales goes into the national treasury, and a portion of that can then be used of uh, to for for the better management and health of those forests. And and that's what we've completely lost sight of. So it's either going to be a profit to the state uh, or it's going to be a cost. Exactly. And And not just a cost fiscally. I mean, we're talking about firefighters losing their lives, risking their lives. Well, that that as well, and that's that's a serious, uh, a very serious concern. Uh, uh, But but it, it, it also goes to the health of the environment. Any population that is crowded and overgrown is going to be unhealthy and disease prone. That's the condition of our national forests today because about 20 years ago, our philosophy on the management of those forests changed uh, to one of benign neglect. And it has served us, it has served our economy, it has served our environment very poorly. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's all right with you, I, I want to move on to a, a comment that you made on the floor about Bill Clinton's successful fiscal policies. Um, you praised Clinton for cutting federal spending as a percentage of the GDP and uh, putting through the biggest capital gains cut in U.S. history and produced four years of budget surplus. And mm-hmm. in these times of partisan bickering, when uh, we're more polarized than ever, didn't you take a risk in praising Clinton's record and pointing out that President Bush produced the exact opposite result? Well, well, this is not a matter of Republicans versus Democrats. This is a matter of policies that work and, a po- and policies that don't work. You know, when people say this is the worst recession since the Depression, I remember a time much more recently when we had double-digit unemployment and double-digit inflation, mile-long lines around gas stations, interest rates were at 20.5%. That was the end of the Carter administration. Maybe we don't remember those days as vividly because they didn't last very long. We elected Ronald Reagan. He diagnosed the problem very differently than this administration. You remember his inaugural. He says, he says, in this great economic crisis, government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. He dramatically reduced the tax and regulatory burdens that were crushing the economy and the result was a period of prolonged economic expansion. And that's not just a Republican policy. John F. Kennedy did the same thing in the early 1960s. Harry Truman cut federal spending in fiscal year 1946 from $85 billion down to $30 billion in a single year. He fired 10 million federal employees. It was called war demobilization. 
The Keynesians at the time predicted 25% unemployment in the second Great Depression. Instead, we had the post-war economic boom. And, and Bill Clinton, after he took the drubbing in 1994, you remember his State of the Union address, he said the era of big government is over. Mm-hmm. And he reduced federal spending, as you pointed out, by a miraculous 4% of GDP. He uh, attacked entitlement spending uh, and um, uh, uh, abolished the entire open-ended welfare system we had. Uh, signed the biggest capital gains tax cut in American history, and the period was a period of profound economic expansion. George W. Bush comes in and does exactly the opposite. He increases spending by 2% of GDP. He presides over the biggest expansion of entitlement spending since the Great Society. He starts the entire era of stimulus spending. Uh, uh, He produces what at the time were record uh, budget deficits, uh, and the economy tanked. So, as I said, But I believe you went further than that, Congressman. You said that Obama has doubled down on the Bush program, adding $6.8 trillion to the national debt, which amounts to $56,000 per household in America. Exactly. My beef with Barack Obama is not that he changed George Bush's policies, is that it, but it's, it's that he didn't change those policies. He took the worst of them and doubled down on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we're, we're dealing with the, the uh, you know, economic stagnation uh, that we've had for the past five and a half years. These have not been happy years for our nation. Uh, uh, and there's a reason for it, because the public policy is just flat out wrong. Well, uh, that <laughs> no one can argue with that. We've had two administrations that have expanded uh, government, not only the size of government, not only the deficit, but also the intrusion of government into private life. Oh, and, 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 and that goes to the, the heart of our Bill of Rights and of the, the uh, uh, unprecedented uh, uh, spying on Americans uh, uh, by their government. Uh, in direct violation of the Fourth Amendment, which requires that before the federal government can can paw through or seize your personal data, uh, it has to uh, produce evidence to a court that there is probable cause to believe that you've committed a crime, and then it has to specify what documents or records it's looking for. Of uh, compare that to the mass collection of data by the uh, NSA uh, on millions and millions of Americans. And when they say, well, they don't listen to the conversations, A, we learned through the uh, X key score program revelations, that's not entirely true. Uh, but even if it were true, if I know who you call, what websites you visit, how long you talk to people, uh, how often you talk to them, you, I already know a great deal about you, and that's forbidden from the, by the Fourth Amendment. You're absolutely right, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, we have three million listeners across the United States, and they're all violently <laughs> nodding their heads up and down at this very moment. Now we have to take our last scheduled break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. The crisis in the Ukraine is the latest global conflict to pit the United States against Vladimir Putin's Russia. While the Cold War may have ended, U.S.-Russia diplomacy is here to stay. Understanding this volatile new era is not easy. For many years, experts have been trying to explain Russia's new leadership, but cracking the inner circle has remained elusive until now. The American Program Bureau represents some of the most knowledgeable and prominent Russian insiders who are available to speak to your organization. Experts such as Mikhail Gorbachev, former leader of the Soviet Union and master architect of modern-day Russia. Vladimir Posner, the dean of Russian journalism. Andrei Kosarev, the first foreign minister under Boris Yeltsin. And Pavel Palashenko, chief advisor for 25 years to Gorbachev, are available to speak at your next event. 
No Speakers Bureau offers greater insights into how Russia impacts our economy, our world, and our lives. To schedule these esteemed leaders for your next event, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or apbspeakers.com. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home, not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report. I don't know if you feel a little sluggish in the middle of the afternoon like I do, but if you do, I'm going to suggest you try Pollen Burst. It's an orange-flavored energy drink that comes in a packet, and it tastes a lot like that other orange drink the astronauts used to drink. You know the one. Pollen Burst contains vitamins A, B1, B3, B6, B12, pantothenic acid, vitamin D3, and gluconolactone, all designed to give you an energy boost that can last for hours. Pollen Burst comes in a box of 30 packets for $56 or two boxes for $100, and you can order it right now at kscoteam.com. The next time you feel tired and need a little boost, skip the coffee, soda, or candy bar and mix up a cold glass of Pollen Burst and do your body some real good. Go to kscoteam.com. If you haven't been listening to TV Confidential, this is who you're missing. Shirley Jones. Diane Baker. Bobby Hall. Channing Chase. Charlene Tilton. Cherie J. Wilson. David Franco. Peggy King. Shelley Morrison. Karen Condation. Joanne Worley. And many, many more of your favorite celebrities and people behind the scenes in the world of television. That's TV Confidential. Sunday mornings from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on AM 1080 KSCO Santa Cruz. Listen and be heard. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Tom McClintock. So personal income has dropped almost $2,600 per year for the average family, uh, and one out of six Americans is now living in poverty, which includes about 22% of our children. So I have to ask you about pro-growth budgeting. What is that, and how is it different from regular budgeting? Well, you simply reduce the tax and regulatory burdens that are crushing the economy. You know that, that that has worked with every administration that's attempted it. Every administration that has attempted to increase the tax and regulatory burdens on an economy uh, uh, has has uh, uh, caused that economy to buckle and wither. Uh, Pro-growth budgeting simply notes that there is a direct correlation between uh, the policies of the government. Um, and the performance of the economy. And as you reduce spending, as you reduce the regulatory burdens, you see an increase in economic activity and therefore an increase in tax revenues. So what's, if you don't mind my asking, what's stopping us from reducing spending and reducing regulations? It seems um, very simple, seems very obvious when you put it that way. As I said. What's in the way? Uh, uh, ideology. Of uh, you know the, the you know we have uh, uh, policymakers who are ideologically wed to the notion uh, that uh, more and more government spending creates economic growth. The, the the notion is that if government just spends enough, injects enough money into the economy, it will jumpstart consumer spending. The problem with that approach is is very simple. It is true if I take a dollar from Peter and give it to Paul. Paul's got an extra dollar to spend. Paul's going to take that dollar into a local shop, buy something. The shopkeeper's going to order more inventory. The manufacturer's going to order more resources. That dollar does ripple through the economy, but they completely ignore the other half of the equation. Peter now has one less dollar to spend in that very same economy, one less dollar to ripple through, which is why this kind of policy on paper nets zero. In practice, it nets much less than zero because you transfer huge amounts of capital from uh, uh, investment decisions made by the productive sector, which is based on the highest economic return of the dollar, 
and those decisions are then shifted to the public sector where the investments are made on the highest political return on the dollar. That's the difference between uh, Solyndra and Apple. That's the difference between the post office and FedEx. That's the difference between the Reagan recovery and the Obama recovery. But isn't it also true we have just become addicted to short-term mitigations? Like, let's take conservation, for example. As you point out, conservation works up to a point until there's no water to conserve. So that's how we know it's a mitigation. It's not a cure. The only cure is to make more water. You can't conserve yourself out of a uh, drought. Uh, So we get confused about what's a mitigation and what's actually a fix. In the same respect, handing uh, Peter's dollar to Paul... Uh, it, it it works for about five minutes. Well, government cannot inject a dollar into the economy until it takes that same dollar out of the economy. And that's that's the fatal flaw in the policies that this administration has engaged in for the past five and a half years and, the, and that the George W. Bush administration engaged in when it began all of the stimulus spending uh, in the uh, spring of 2008. We're talking about redistributing money. Uh, uh, correct. Instead, okay. in, in, instead of that money going to its highest and best economic use, that money is diverted to its highest and best political use. Mm-hmm. And and how do we fix that? Well, we, we return to constitutional principles. We re- return to sound and proven uh, 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 policies of, um, of, of 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 free market economics. Wouldn't you think the states? would step in and, and because you know where where does the federal government get that money it's getting it from the states no why no, don't the states why don't the states grow a backbone and basically say you know we we we're we're dying here states don't create money any more than the federal government creates money individual uh, economic activity creates money mm-hmm. uh, you know when i if i hand you a dollar for a cup of coffee what's going on in that transaction i'm telling you that your cup of coffee is worth more to me than my dollar and at the same time you're telling me that my dollar is worth more to you than your cup of coffee when we make that exchange that mm-hmm. free exchange yes. we both go away richer for it wealth is created by that transaction but now suppose some third party butts his nose into the uh, uh, transaction <laughs> says oh no no the, the the coffee has to be between uh, 90 and 110 degrees and it has to be served in a biodegradable container and has to be covered if it's to be consumed more than 25 feet from the point of sale and on and on. Hey, we do have those rules. Those aren't imaginary rules. We have those. And every one of those conditions (laughs) reduces the value of the transaction for one or both parties until the value of that transition uh, transaction is destroyed. Mm -hmm. And that is what overregulation does to harm an economy. Oh, goodness. Well, you know, you're absolutely right about it. When I read about some of the regulations, I can't even imagine how small businesses can stay in business. And so we have record numbers of them going out of business simply because uh, the overhead to meet regulations and responsibilities takes the profit out of any business. Precisely. And the federal policy is then compounded by bad policies at the state level. I represent uh, 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 Lake Tahoe. Uh, which actually straddles two states, California and Nevada. And I had a group of business people in recently. I said, well, what's it like doing business in a community that is divided between two states? And the answer was very simple. Uh, In Nevada, they ask, how can we help you? In California, they ask, how can we stop you? (laughs) Guess what? Capital and population is moving from high-tax, high-regulatory states like California to low-tax, low-regulatory states like Nevada. Uh, and by the way, the same thing's happening at the national level. Amer- uh, the United States now has the highest corporate tax rate in the industrialized world, and we are losing uh, capital, and we are losing jobs, and we are losing companies uh, to uh, uh, lower tax, lower regulatory environments around the world. Right, more attractive environments for business. Now, now, uh, before we run out of time, do you have a website where listeners today can go to get more information about your views and also your work? Uh, absolutely. My uh, my campaign website is TomMcClintock.com or HelpTom.com if you prefer. Uh, and uh, uh, my uh, uh, congressional website is McClintock.house.gov. Mm-hmm. Well, we are at the end of our hour. Um, but, but before we let you go today, I want to thank you for making time to be with us and for your service to our country. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. McClintock. It's my pleasure, Rebecca. Thanks so much for having me.
If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or comment to make about our interview with Tom McClintock, you can drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and also at our website at RebeccaCosta.com. We have a contact page there for your comments. And if you missed any part of today's interview, you can listen to the full program on Apple, iTunes, Podbean, Voice America, and also the Rebecca Costa website. Just uh, click on the guest photograph and listen anytime, anywhere, uh, from the convenience of your computer or your mobile device. And if you have a a special interest in water, fire prevention, or uh, government environmental policies, uh, or human rights, uh, I hope you'll take a moment to read The Watchman's Rattle, a book which explains what the real source of gridlock is and why and how gridlock eventually devolves into a, a mass confusion between empirical facts and unproven beliefs. Um, That is the beginning of irrational policy when we can't tell a fact from an opinion. Um, There's an entire chapter dedicated to understanding why, in spite of having more knowledge and technology and solutions than at any other time in human history, we are no better prepared to handle the drought than the Mayans once were. So get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. And if you already have a copy, uh, get one for a friend. All proceeds from the book go toward keeping the Costa Report on the air throughout the United States. So we thank you in advance for your contribution to expanding the reach of one of the last places on radio where leaders from all points of view are welcome and can have an intelligent and respectful conversation, one that never stoops to name-calling or gotcha radio which I know you get plenty of day in and day out. You can turn on talk radio all across this country. And, and uh, you know, I, I have to say, they contribute to the polarization. We don't need more things to divide Americans, do we? We don't, we don't need more divisiveness. What we need is, is more tolerance and more willingness to look at our problems from both sides of the aisle. And I think that's what we bring you week after week. And and uh, and I thank all of uh, our listeners today for sending us emails and encouragement and and uh, funny jokes and gifts. And we really appreciate it. I, I speak on behalf of the whole staff of the Costa Report. Now, my guest next week is former senator from Pennsylvania and 2012 contender for the GOP nominee for the presidency, Mr. Rick Santorum. He'll be here to talk about blue-collar conservatives in America and the upcoming midterm elections. So don't miss Rick Santorum next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for the second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.